I very much hope that all this um, analysis, if we can call it that, of what's involved in and what supports sensing the soul, perceiving imaginally, soul-making, I hope that it's helpful, all this uh, analysis and kind of taking apart what we mean by those words. I hope that that's helpful. I hope that it opens up possibilities and makes actual possibilities um, for you and um, allows you to open up this field further. And I hope that in uh, what we're saying here and through your own practice of it and dipping in and uh, trying stuff and taking note of what happens. I hope that through all of that you, you really get a taste of the kinds of things that we're talking about, the kinds of um, experiences. Uh, get the taste in terms of actually experience for yourself, these kinds of um, openings, deepenings, transformations, whatever you want to call it. Um, that you both get the taste and get the idea in, in uh, you know, as a metaphorical term, but also more literally, in that you, you understand conceptually as well as get, um, uh, as well as having certain, not certain experience, but as well as it opening up experientially, that you also, it opens up for you conceptually, it makes sense, uh, it's grounded conceptually, both through what we're saying and through your own pra- practical explorations. And and with that, you know, again, I really uh, want to encourage you um, to to play, to experiment. And experiment means, you know, trying different stuff, doing doing some uh, different things in practice than you might usually do. But experiment implies with it a sort of attentive, uh, careful noticing of what happens, a kind of inquiry in and through the practice sometimes even questioning. And through, through that combination of um, uh, play and inquiry, we could say experimentation, this attentive noticing when we're playing, um, a maturing of soul-making and imaginal practice um, and of understanding um, will, will take place. It's that combination um, playing or experimenting with a kind of attentive noticing and um, inquiry and and kind of thinking about it as well. And all of that together um, will will kind of uh, inevitably open up and establish a kind of gradual maturing of these kinds of practice and of the understanding. So that, that kind of way of approaching things is very different from a kind of... Um, you know, harassment or pressure of the question, am I getting this right? Am I, am I getting it right? Um, uh, which so often, as I said, plagues meditators and oppresses um, the, the meditative exploration and the meditative path. So we're, you know, slowly, gradually looking at what is it that allows, opens, supports, catalyzes uh, sensing with soul, um, sensing life, the world, um, the things of the world, materiality, the bodies, the uh, beings of the world, um, sensing 
uh, any and all of that with soul. And we've touched on um, the importance of certain aspects of the way that we are present, the way that we um, show up, if you like, in the present moment and and bring our awareness and our, our being to bear. Um, and certain factors um, of aspects of, of our presence, if you like, if you want to call it that, um, being kind of key. Um, so, for instance, humility, heart opening or heart softening, a certain amount, a slight uh, or some degree of lessening of fabricate, the fabrication of perception, um, some degree of loosening of kind of perceptual and conceptual grasping too tightly on what a thing is and how reality is, etc. Um, uh, sensitivity as an aspect of presence, uh, energy, body awareness, these kinds of things. And we, I'm just repeating now uh, what we've been through before, just to reiterate it <clears throat> once more. We, we kind of said any aspect or element of the imaginal, any node in the imaginal constellation, we went through that whole list, um, attention to or noticing that node can can either suddenly or gradually bring that element alive, and then from there the whole kind of lattice can, if you like, ignite, become illuminated. Um, the, the fully imaginal can be um, moved towards uh, or entered into, um, either suddenly or gradually. And also we said that in all of that, um, you know, some of those elements won't necessarily be there um, at first or in the, in the, in the in the sort of uh, beginnings of your practice with all this. So something, for instance, like the sense of um, participation. I wonder whether that's just a bit more subtle. In other words, it's it's maybe not likely to be noticed um, immediately. I mean, it could be that the fact that y- you've heard me say it uh, so, so much uh, kind of stimulates... Um, that noticing and, and makes it more accessible. But the general point right now is that it's not necessary that all these elements kind of uh, are, are, you notice them at first. There's, as I said, there's a maturing almost of the uh, discernment that happens, like your eyes getting used to the dark, but over quite a period of time, it's like what's actually involved in imaginal perception? What's actually involved in sensing the soul? Uh, we also said, again, I'm just reviewing briefly, we also said that the order of uh, practices, if you like, is not important. So, <clears throat> for example, one might start with a so-called intrapsychic image or intrapsychic sensing the soul, uh, so-called, and uh, and from there it spreads out to some thing, some object, some person, or just the general environment in a kind of cosmic voices, uh, to what we might call extra-psychic sensing the soul. Or it might work the other way around. One starts with something, um, uh, some material object, or the general sense of one's surroundings, um, perceived, sensed with soul, and from that arises some intrapsychic image of oneself, or of some someone else, or something else. Um, so it can work in either order, either way. It might be only extrapsychic. It might just stay with this uh, object in front of me, this thing, this being, um, 
whatever it is uh, in the material world, manifesting materially, and one senses them with soul, and that's, that's just what it does. It might be that we start with, for instance, um, some, some, uh, some degree of cultivating some samadhi, and the, and the well-being, the harmonization, the sort of integrity uh, and beauty, really, of the energy body experience there. Uh, and that uh, liquefies, to a certain extent, um, lessens fabrication to a certain extent, loosens things to a certain extent. And in that loosening, liquef- liquefaction, liquidification, whatever the word is, um, there's the possibility for more... Uh, sensing the soul of the world around us because everything is kind of liquefied a little bit loosened. Or, and we also mentioned possibility, can be emptiness practices first, which essentially do a similar kind of thing. They're all in the movement of less fabrication, lessening of fabrication. Or some other element, for instance, um, like we mentioned humility, it might be that lingering with that sense, allowing that to... Um, open one and and allowing oneself to open into that um, realm of of uh, that mode of being that we call humility with everything that's involved there in whatever way that does and whatever that means for us or however that opens at that time um, it, it may be that that me, it may be that, that element is um, is is the sort of the way in the the, the door that opens uh, into uh, to allow the sensing of soul into the mundus imaginalis. Um, so in all this, in co- all this analysis, there's kind of this um, possibility to, uh, to develop our understanding conceptually of the conceptual framework and understanding um, regarding the elements, that some of the elements that might be involved in um, <coughs> whichever way one wants to put it, opening a door or building, if you like, creating this uh, constellation, this construction, this fabrication that is the imaginal. Um, and also with practice. So dwelling on this allows both the understanding and the practice, hopefully, to develop, to um, for you to gain some confidence in, because you can actually try... Uh, Try stuff. Uh, dwell or focus on this or that element. Try changing this, that, that just noticing or um, tweaking an element or amplifying it or w- whatever it is. But we also made the point um, that, uh, okay, there's this understanding and um, skill that develops regarding certain what elements may be involved, but never, never, never is soul-making going to be only a matter of technique or um, something that can be um, harnessed in uh, under the rubric of our my mastery, your mastery. It's never going to be only that. Yes, there is uh, skill and art that can develop in practice, and yes, there certainly is uh, uh, quite beautiful and um, remarkable evolution of, of uh, refinement of discernment conceptually and perceptually and all that and that's really really helpful and important but there's always going to be it's never going to come just under that I'm never going to get it completely under my thumb uh, there's always going to be an element in soul making of grace of uh, the unexpected of um, something uh, being given a gift and, and receiving something, so to speak, from beyond ourselves.
sense of grace, of gift, of re- receiving of something from beyond ourselves, is always, I would say, uh, to some degree, an element in soul-making practice, in sensing the soul, in in imaginal perception. So that's the end of the little review. If we pick up on that little point and um, amplify something that I mentioned, um, can't remember when, but recently. Um, so we can, as I said just now, we can uh, receive something from beyond ourselves. And that beyond ourselves might be um, from another human or other humans right now in the present, in, 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 uh, materially with us, together with us, or a whole field um, or group or whatever. Um, that's one, one possibility of the beyond ourselves that we may receive from. Now, I'm not going to talk, we're not going to talk, and we probably won't talk for quite a while about, um, I don't know what to call it exactly, deliberate um, dyadic soul-making practice where there's deliberate sort of uh, erotic, the erotic imaginal is explored deliberately um, face-to-face with another and uh, kind of held there and explored there and allowed to amplify with each other in the form, uh, in the terminus there. Um, I think we'll save that to later. I don't actually recommend, I don't think we recommend that practice quite yet. It takes, uh, I mean, it, it's very beautiful, very wonderful, but it takes quite a lot of um, prerequisite psychologically in terms of um, skill with one's own process, relational skills and arts, um, all kinds of things, energetics, etc. So uh, I'm not really wanting to talk so much as that as a whole, about that so much as a deliberate um, kind of avenue and possibility in practice. Um, rather, for, for right now, um, uh, just, just to uh, mention a possibility, because some of you will have experienced this anyway, and it happens, of course, um, that, as I said, we, we receive... Um, uh, we are given something from beyond ourselves, sometimes from other human selves um, right now that we're in relationship with, and that um, opens up for us. It's what we get from them, what they communicate to us um, that opens up the possibility right then for us of sensing the soul. Um, so could possibly give a few examples of this. Um, <clears throat> Now, one actually is is something that I, I, I can report from myself, um, with help by Catherine, in fact. Um, now, I think it was the last retreat, the Alchemy of Desire, and I I was talking at some point, and perhaps in the talk, I forgot what it was called. Is it Longing, Vulnerability, Anteros, or something like that? And um, was talking about uh, something that happened, and uh, my worry or fear, if you like, of of uh, uh, regarding a certain creative project that I really was very dear to my soul and heart, and my fear, my concern, worry that it would just sort of um, get lost or dissolve or not come to a fruition, and uh, uh, also my recognition that it didn't depend on me, and how that opened up through an exploration uh, that Catherine helped help me with, but that was primarily my own image, if you like, that I explored. 
Now it was around the same time, I can't remember if it was before the retreat or after the retreat or sometime, we were, Catherine and I were Skyping and uh, I think it was a similar similar uncertainty that I was in or similar like um, anxiety really I was in about this um, thing that felt, this project that felt, creative project that felt very, um, very important to me. Um, and we were Skyping and at a certain point, I was maybe sharing some of this, I think, and uh, and some of my feelings. And at a certain point, um, her perception shifted into an imaginal perception, or in other words, she was sensing with soul. She was sensing me with soul through this through the medium of Skype, and um, perceiving me, perceiving, sensing me with soul. In other words, I for her had become image at that point. And um, in, in not so much as a narrative, but in that moment as a kind of iconic image, um, not so much the whole story of this, uh, if I remember rightly. And uh, with everything that, that involves and the theophany and the dimensionality and all of that. And she shared that with me in, in real time, in the moment. She said, and this is, this is how I'm seeing right now. And she was quite struck by the perception and the sort of numinosity there and luminosity and, and the, the beauty of that in her perception. And her communicating of, of that, of her perception, in this case of me, but com- communicating that to me in, in, in the moment, um, in the midst of this... Um, of my sharing uh, open-heartedly about the anxiety that I was feeling, um, did something to my perception of, um, if you like, the the life of this work, of the life of this creative work that I was uh, uh, caring deeply about and, and actually concerned about, so that her communicating that perception to me, it's not so much that I picked up that exact perception and saw myself... Um, iconically, theophanically, um, as image as she was, it was more something illuminated in the field, and then I was able at that point somehow in the, in the in the magic sort of uh, ignition of that of the field of her communicating that was triggered by her communication of her imaginal perception. I was able actually to perceive the life of the work more imaginally, the life of this creative project um, more imaginally. And then the kind of, um, uh, you know, contraction of anxiety that was there uh, was able to relax. Um, It's as if I caught the the sensing the soul or caught the imaginal field from her. Um, Or her perception, her communication of that perception, that imaginal perception, ignited uh, not the same perception, but uh, if you like a related perception perhaps, but a different perception in me, imaginally. Um, and so I was in, I had been in this kind of, I need to figure out what to do to ensure that this creative work uh, lives and becomes generative uh, in the future if I die, etc. Um, and so I, I had been in that, and that um, kind of uh, grip of that, I need to figure out, I need to figure out how to do, what's the solution here? Um, in my shift in, uh, that was catalyzed by her shift, of seeing me imaginally in my shift, then that kind of grip relaxed, and there was a whole different seeing of this creative project, of my relationship with it, and the possibility that I might die uh, before it 
comes to fruition, etc. Um, that all relaxed, and that became imagined. There was a very different relationship with that. Um, so that would be one example, again, of something we receive, as I said, from beyond ourselves that opens, if you like, turns the key in our uh, perception uh, so that we are then able to perceive, to sense with soul. Um, a second example might be, and some of you might remember this, and I'm trying to remember, I'm pretty sure I recounted it in a talk, in uh, which I think might be the theatre of selves, um, maybe in the second part, and I was <coughs> relating, I'm not going to do the whole thing right now, but I was relating uh, the true story of working with a a yogi on retreat and her sharing with me some really difficult memories um, that had um, she'd felt a lot of shame about for many years uh, concerning something that happened when she was quite quite young a, a, a very young woman really and um, and as she was talking and we, we hadn't uh, discussed anything about imaginal or nothing hadn't even used that word and this is really quite a few years ago but as she was talking, um, I heard the word sacred prostitute. And I was sort of wrestling with myself as I was listening of whether it was kind of okay to share that. Um, and I did. And in a way, what came to me through these words was an imaginal perception or a sensing with soul of the memory of the whole scene and account of narrative, really, of what she was sharing with me. It was so painful for her and so kind of um, bound in shame uh, decades later. Um, and my, my sense, my imaginal perceiving of that story, that episode in her life, um, I then shared that with her. And in this case, she... Uh, it immediately picked up the uh, the flame of that the, that very same imaginal perceiving that very same sensing of that memory of that narrative with soul um, it was the same one so different than what happened with Catherine and I on the Skype where I what ignited for me was a slightly different perception in this case it was the same image and I really had been a few minutes listening I, you know, I'm not sure I can say that um, in regard to this very painful thing but um, I did say it, and she immediately grasped uh, uh, that image. It was it was Im immediately something that cast the whole episode and the whole pain of it in a, in a very different light. It was literally seen with a different way of looking. It was remembered, not, not, not the facts, but the whole color and the whole actual movement of what was going on there. What is What was going on in this painful memory? We can interpret it, if you like, uh, this way, the hermeneutic of it is this way, and it's shaming, and it's um, uh, a kind of moral inferiority and a great mistake, and um, there's no beauty, there's nothing redeeming in it. And something shifted in this perception. It wasn't my, as I shared back then, it wasn't just my intellect coming up with, now I wonder what we could do here to recast it, to bring in a different way of looking. Something was, if you like, given to me. So I 
receive something from beyond myself, which which had to do with the field. And and in the field, we were looking together at that memory. I receive something from beyond myself. Who's, who knows from where? From soul, from whatever. And then communicated it to her, and, and that was exactly uh, what she needed then to... Um, shift um, and, and see the whole thing in with more uh, a, a re-sanctification a redeeming, an opening up um, of, of uh, to see what was beautiful there and what was divine and mercy began to flow healing began to flow etc um, uh, her sense not just of the past but then of her present as well um, it's as if she recognised the uh, necessity and the truth, if you like, if we even use that word, um, the truth of that imaginal perception, the truth of sensing what happened with soul, remembering in, in that different way. Um, of her, her, both her past and herself. Yes? And that means herself in the present too. Um, so that would be another example, again, of... Um, receiving something from beyond ourselves and, and if you like, be, it being communicated within, um, between humans. Um, another one, actually, again, uh, it was something I was involved in um, with, a, with a very good friend. Uh, I can't remember when, but sometime in the last few years. Um, and I don't quite remember what led up to it, but... Um, I was, I think we were both feeling um, a certain particular kind of um, tenderness and openness between us. And um, it, it wasn't that something had been closed or hardened or um, hidden or, you know, held behind, held tightly behind sort of um, uh, certain you know, doors for fear of being seen. It wasn't that at all. But something happened, and um, I think we both felt this kind of, metaphorically speaking, a kind of nakedness with each other. Um, And again, it wasn't that we were hiding anything before that, and suddenly it was like, ah, now now I can show you what I'm ashamed of or anything. It was nothing like that at all. You know, that can be a very important... uh, moment for in, in, in human beings relating, but it, but it actually wasn't that. It was just that something happened, or in the flow of things, there was suddenly a sense of this really um, beautiful kind of uh, nakedness together. And um, I, and we were sort of talking a little bit, but, but not, at, like there was a lot of just silence and sort of real, real slow pace to things. And um, and I was kind of checking uh, or, or paying attention to this kind of beautiful feeling of, of nakedness, metaphorically. And, and I was thinking, oh, I've got this real innocence with it and a kind of real unguardedness. And again, not that there was, there was really much guardedness before, um, but it had this kind of almost... Um, well, really, it became almost like a kind of pristine um, ident. Edenic, as in Garden of Eden kind of thing, something very young, very, very innocent, um, sort of 
open and unguarded and, and really naked. And that, as I tracked it inside, as I sort of, uh, in, in the flow of this very sort of sparse conversation, just being together, and there was a lot of love there, um, um, uh, w- was paying attention kind of at the same time to this sense that I had. And then in the paying attention, it became imaginal. It took that kind of, um, as a quantum jump, and, and the very... Um, sense of my um, nakedness and innocence, openness, unguardedness, and the kind of youngness of that uh, had began to have those qualities of of beauty and theophany and uh, dimensionality and um, uh, all, all all the rest of it, and um, so became, if you like, iconic for me. Became there was something um, of the iconic image in that, and. In as we talked about elements imaginal, then I began to pick up as just noticing uh, these elements of the imaginal. I wasn't doing it in any deliberate way. Uh, uh, don't think I'd even kind of articulated this business about elements of the imaginal to myself at that time. But um, began to notice the element of eternality. Uh, it's as if that um, nakedness, innocence, unguardedness, openness, y- 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 you know, young. Uh, uh, image, um, I sensed the eternality of it. There was there was this this uh, young naked boy, etc. Um, uh, had this it always always already happening in in hierophanic time quality to it, and that um, amplified the sense of divinity of the whole thing. And uh, you know, I've talked. I haven't talked about it for quite a while, but I talked. Um, some point, perhaps in path of the imaginal, about this possibility of kind of seeing an image as an object or becoming an image, etc., um, as two possible different kind of ways of relating to an image, uh, among among others. Um, but in this case, I I opened more to this uh, this iconic divine image and its eternality and the beauty of it and the sweetness of it, the, the, the kind of in, the innocent purity of it. And and I sort of became that more. Um, so, again, it's, it's not that I was identified. There wasn't um, this rigid, tight, ego-grasping at it. But it's as if I let myself enter into being that image or feeling myself as that image. And with that, it felt like, um, again, as part of the image, uh, that that there was a blessing radiating from that image, which as I as I entered into the image and sort of became that image um, physically, if you like, in my bodily experience, it felt like uh, uh, my body and my hands, etc., were sort of emanating blessing, that part of the image. And I um, I remember placing my hands on on my uh, friend's head in in blessing and um and she could feel the the blessing energies it was it was very very um i i felt very very beautiful and and touching and interesting um now again uh th- there wasn't uh really much reification going on or much identification if someone were to um go around placing their hands on people's heads with this sense of being identified with having blessing energy coming out of them and and that's good for me 
it's good for you, telling people it's good for you if you let me touch your head because I've got blessing coming out of my hands. You know, that personally would make me very nervous. Maybe that's just my style. But um, here it really felt in that theatre, in that imaginable way, with all the loveliness and power and ability to affect the soul and heart, but um, not... Not the not the identification, not the ego identification and grasping and kind of reification of that. So what happened really there was through the touch, uh, well we were together in this kind of heart experience before, but through the touch then, um, she, uh, we both were in 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 the sensing with soul through the touch. The image, the imaginal there was shared uh, between us, and part of its sharing was sharing through the touch. Um, so in all those three examples I've uh, just given, um, we could say, uh, again, something comes from beyond ourselves, could be from another, another human being, could be, so to speak, uh, we can, we could talk perhaps about the field and like, um, as they talk about, um, fields in, 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 uh, quantum theory, it's like the, the field took takes a quantum leap. In other words, what two people are experiencing, um, the whole thing becomes imaginal together. Um, so this, this to me is, is really quite interesting. Um, in, in the field, that whoever is participating, there's a quantum leap to, into a new imaginal sense. Um, notice that when, when in, in the examples where there was dukkha, that Imaginal sense doesn't ignore or erase the dukkha that was there, nor the particularity of a person, of the persons involved or the um, events or the story, um, but it transforms the seeing, transforms the sensing. Something has gone to sensing with soul. Something has um, opened up in the field, taking that quantum leap. It's taken a quantum leap into the imaginal realm, into the, the imaginal perceiving has opened up. And what can happen, as, as I mentioned, is this quantum leap, if we use that analogy, can be, if you like, given to or arise first in one person, in, if there's two people there, um, first in one person who then communicates it to the other, um, and the second person, um, their sensing um, also then makes the quantum leap so that the whole field um, has shifted. The whole bo- Both of them are in this new perception. The whole sense of what was and uh, is present, the perceptions of selves, um, the others, the objects, events, uh, the world, um, all become, as they do in the soul-making dynamic, become involved and uh, transubstantiated, trans, transfigured, if you like, um, and, and, and the beauty of that. So again, I'm mentioning this as one of the ways in which um, we are, one of the elements in which sensing the soul opens for us is that we receive from beyond ourselves. Um, But I do, again, want to just say, um, I think in terms of unpacking and unfolding, presenting all this material, I just want to put the brakes on a little bit in terms of this deliberate... um, dyadic soul-making practice, which is um, something that I think does take uh, quite a lot of preparation and uh, prerequisite capacity, skills, arts, etc., in in all kinds of domains, relational, psychological, 
um, personal, energetic insight, all, all that. Um, but anyway, some of you will recognize from these kinds of examples that you've already actually experienced this. And as I said, when I when I uh, described what happened with the uh, ritual with the tangerines, in, in a way, some of you might have felt, yeah, I've already experienced this many times, or talking with a friend or in an interview or, or something, or sharing some images in, in a group. Um, of course... Lovers in love know this kind of thing. Uh, they might not have a conceptual framework for it, but but you, you, you people taste this kind of thing, um, and you, you of course may may know the possibility from from your own experience with uh, times when you were in love, etc. Um, and it's not so much about uh, that that sort of form or definition of a relationship. It's more like where there is um, the erotic imaginal alive, it can spread between two people. And the erotic imaginal alive does not necessarily mean sexual romantic between two people. As another example of this, um, if you like, field or receiving from another, actually, to share something... Um, that Catherine told me uh, that her niece told her um, this particular niece um, is uh, actually just five years younger than Catherine or thereabouts, around five years and when Catherine's mother died uh, which Catherine's mother was Catherine's niece's uh, grandmother despite the fact that Catherine's niece is only five years younger than Catherine and when Catherine's mother died a two and a half years ago or so, um, uh, then Catherine's niece shared with Catherine, uh, I want to get the words right, so let me, let me just find it. Um, she said, Nanny, that's what she called Catherine's mum, so her grandmother, uh, Nanny was the only person who would say to me when I went round to her house and sat beside her and told her my problems, she was the only person that would say, Let's sit quietly and put ourselves in the hands of the Lord. It's beautiful. Let's sit quietly and put ourselves in the hands of the Lord. And and then uh, Catherine's niece was saying, now there will be no one who will say that to me anymore. So she was the only figure, Catherine's mother, um, being a devout Catholic, um, she died in her 90s, um, was the only figure in Catherine's niece's life who still had that kind of um, that kind of devoutness, that kind of relationship with God that was um, unabashed enough, unashamed enough, humble enough to share it with others in uh, sounds to me like really not a kind of pushy evangelical way. Um, and she was in, in Catherine's niece, she was the only person who would communicate that. Now, in terms of our analysis, a couple of things here. One is, in saying that, and of course, um, that probably happened many times over um, Catherine's uh, niece's life and her knowing of Catherine's mum, but there's a fusion of a few different elements. So in the many times, it probably then, at that point, then opened up in different ways, depending on what the problem was, depending on all kinds of factors as they sat quietly together and put themselves in the hands of the Lord. Um, 
you can see the humility there, you can see the reverence, all that. You can see also what is communicated again from one human being to another. Again, receiving something of that humility, of a certain idea as well, because there's a whole conception involved there of putting oneself in the hands of the Lord. Um, again, it might be very vague. There's a conception of divinity, there's a conception of the human relational with divinity, etc. There's, uh, there's um, uh, uh, being communicated. So an idea is there, um, an invitation to humility is there, coming from um, a- another. Um, and also an image is there. So it's not, you know, if someone says, let's put ourselves in the hands of the Lord, you know, I, I really presume that n- no one actually has a uh, a, a visual image then of some giant hand descending from the cloud in which you sort of hop onto this hand or something. It's a, it's a metaphor, but it's a, it's a loose image. It's it's something. It's a, uh, it 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 can become enough as a vague metaphor to be itself an imaginal perception that opens up. Then the sensing of the problem was solved, etc. But there's a kind of there's definitely a few elements there. One is um, a kind of um, an image, if you like, um, and and an idea, and um, uh, this other in in the field, or in this case, a kind of dyad that from which Catherine's niece then receives something from beyond herself, something that on her own she's not quite able to access because of lots of different reasons, and all that together with the invitation to humility and other elements that opens up um, the sensing the soul. Um, and 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 then that can op- you know can manifest and open up in different ways and different directions depending on what actually the the problem was that she was dealing with or or kinds of other factors in the present moment. I just want to say something else about that particular um, that particular uh, anecdote. To me, when I hear that, um, something that could easily be overlooked. Um, in in someone sharing that when someone else dies, um, or in just what people uh, report of their lives, etc. Uh, it might be obvious to some of you, but I think it can be very easily overlooked in our in our present zeitgeist, in our in our um, you know in our culture's sort of way of conceiving of existence and and all of that. So to me, when I hear, of course I could be wrong, but to me when I hear it. Um, it seems to me that Catherine's niece, in, in saying that to Catherine after Catherine's mum died, after her grandmother died, um, she's expressing that she's missing not just her grandmother's um, human kindness, uh, not just the comforting that happened then, but she's also missing something... Um, uh, much more specific. She's missing um, what is communicated of the sacred through her grandmother in in a very particular way, and in a way that she said, "Now, no one, there'll be no one." It's very rare in her life. It's very precious. She's missing not just the human kindness and comfort, but also what came through in a very particular, very um, personal way um, through Catherine's grandmother to her. 
of the sacred, of the sense or idea or image or fantasy of the divine, um, expressed or brought into presence or conjured, even if you want to use that word, through a particular person, their style, their mode of doing that, as if each of us is potentially at least, and and, um, hopefully more than potentially, each of us is uh, refracts the divine in a different way. Each of us in our life has the opportunity to um, sing the praise of existence, to communicate through our being in so many different ways um, their sense of the sacredness of existence. And uh, we all do that, and we refract, if you like, the light of the divine, the infinite light of the divine. We refract it each in our particular ways. We each have our different songs, or ranges of songs that we each sing. And it's that, um, over and above the, the, the human kindness or comfort that she might have received from her grandmother or whatever it is, it's that that Catherine's... Um, niece um, is expressing that she's missing and the rarity of that and the loss of that from her life and the loss uh, generally but also in this case specifically as well my nanny, my grandma had this particular way that she expressed and and, um, brought the divine into manifestation through how she related to the divine, through how she felt it, how she expressed it. Is not this the most precious gift that we bear, that we give to each other as human beings? The way, the ways that we express that and show that to each other and, and yeah, if we use that word, refract the light of the, of, 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 of the sacred, of the divine, of the beyond, of the mystery. There's something much more going on there. Um, it's much more than just a strategy for decreasing suffering. I mean, it's, it could be seen that way, and it, and it has that. It had that function definitely. There's something useful there. But this whole other level of the the taste, the intimation, the disclosure, the 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 fragrance of the particular. Um, expression or slant or refraction of divinity that we get from each other. It's not useful. It's, it's uh, In a way, it's useless. Um, and I'll come back to that in another talk, I think. But is it not the most precious gift? I, I think it is. Of the most beautiful things that we love in this existence. Okay, let's move on. So another um, possibility, and I've alluded to this many times, but let's just draw it out a little bit, um, is that a life situation that we're in um, can become image for us. It becomes imaginal for us, or we sense that situation, that that, um, life situation with soul. there is that potential. So instead of just this, there's just this problem or just this thing that I like or um, this thing that I'm interested in, it's actually we um, can in practice allow it to become fully imaginal for us. Now, 
sometimes that's obvious, or it's obvious um, that the thing is or can easily be fully imaginal. But oftentimes it's not. Um, it's not at all. And we just regard this thing as a kind of... Oh, I'm caught up in this papancha, or it's a... Uh, you know, it's a problem that I have, I have too much desire, or this or that. Um, so oftentimes it's actually, it, we're, not aware, or we're not aware, or a person isn't aware of the potential in a life situation um, to, 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 if you like, liberate the imaginal that's there, and to plug in, to connect with, to open to the um, uh, a very different sensing of that situation of themselves in that situation, sensing it with soul. So, um, someone was sharing with me um, in an interview a while ago, and I asked her permission to <coughs> to share it with you. And um, she was saying it was slightly complicated sort of um, nexus of conditions, if you like. Um, and I think, I can't remember if she said, um, uh, also in relation to imaginal practice, I don't get images. Um, she may or may not, but I think it's important in this connection, uh, because this, what I'm going to say now, also addresses um, the, those of you who still might think, I don't get images. And we've said quite a lot about that in past talks. Um, but oftentimes, uh, the, the image is there in our life. It's just we haven't... Um, kind of recognized it as image, recognized the fantasy that is propelling us, that is calling us, that is pulling us anyway. It's in what we love. It's in what we're moved by. It's in what what is meaningful to us. What, I think I said, um, maybe image, myth or dharma, but ma- many times over the last few years, where we love, there is image. Where we're dedicated, there is image. You can look there. And it's a matter of, like, so to speak, unearthing the image or um, uh, illuminating the image there and then it, it kind of shining its light on us and on the whole situation. So here was a situation where there's a different kind of sides to it. So let me just kind of present the whole picture very briefly. Um, she had shared with me um, that she had gone to an exhibition of a certain Japanese artist, Hokusai, uh, that um, some of you will know, a very wonderful artist um, from the uh, 18th and 19th centuries, I think. Um, and, and generally was showing just more how much she really loved art and literature, um, but was kind of regretting that she had uh, no time in her life to kind of study it, as she would like, but also, um, it turned out some of the impetus to study was because she had, uh, was in a certain social situation where she was just moved, and a lot of the people that she was kind of encountering in this new uh, new town where she lived were, were kind of um, into the arts, but in a way where, uh, I don't know how to say, as if they were um, uh, boasting their knowledge uh, of how much they knew about it and so she was also kind of slightly intimidating social scene where she felt she had to 
uh, kind of equal their knowledge or not be exposed as being ignorant, uh, etc. So it didn't sound very pleasant kind of social scene that she had been introduced to, and was she was very ambivalent about whether she wanted to be in that scene at all, understandably. Um, so this, I don't have time to study it, was, was itself mixed. It was partly kind of, um, I, I need to know more um, to kind of be in, you know, keep up with these people around me who has got this kind of slightly harsh uh, I don't know what the word is uh, you know, judgmental quality or comparing quality, measuring each other quality to it, and and some of it was just coming out of love um, and uh, another piece here was that she was also, I think she had a column in a, in a magazine um, in uh, profession which had nothing to do with art or literature and uh, a regular column and she was um, uh, talk, talking about that and her relationship with, with that uh, teaching teaching that and uh, it was a teaching thing and communicating the teaching in, in her column and talking about this and, and she reported um, how she, she felt that she could get really um, manic like in in relation to some of these things either in relation to this column that she had to write or or in relation to kind of getting excited about art or literature um and that she felt that energy in the chest and then her mind just spins and kind of oh then 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 i'll do this and then i'll do that and after that i'll do that and that as if this kind of forward momentum of overexcited papancha um uh was, was something that she kind of um you know, didn't want to get into, and she recognised, and she kind of said, I, I tend to do that, I tend to get, I think she used the word manic. Um, and so we, we all recognise that, uh, most of us will recognise that kind of possibility as one of the possibilities of Papancha. Forward, we're in planning mode, and we're overexcited, and um, we're not really in our bodies, and it's all gotten kind of out of hand. Um, and as we're talking, it's just kind of say, okay, uh, that's, you know, really good to be aware of that and if you like there are three fantasies uh, at least three fantasies woven together here in your life um so there's a whole and i mean fantasy in this case in the good sense in other words um something that is already image and fantasy for us in in that it has beauty it has meaning it has all this but it needs to be recognized as such and allowed as such and given permission and granted um, its uh, respect and trust and those kind of elements in order for it to have its power because otherwise what happens is we mistake something that's potentially fancy we mistake it for papancha now sometimes what is comes to us as image and fancy can be papancha or it can turn into papancha, or it, it can actually be papancha, but we start relating to it differently, and and it's it, it more that it, it becomes imaginal, and that's what I want to go into now. Um, what I want to kind of um, offer as a possibility, as as a permission, or as a re kind of conceiving, is that maybe it was actually imaginal to start with. And because we didn't trust it, and because we didn't pay attention and relate to it in the right way, and we were suspicious of it, or we closed it down, or we didn't involve the energy body, etc., and all that, um, and didn't respect it, it it became more of a papancha force and a problematic um, energy spinning in in our consciousness, in our being. Do you understand? 
So, but but th- these these things are usually always redeemable at any point. It's not that we have to catch them and nip them in the bud. Uh, I could, could be years of what I've been considering as papancha an unskillful relationship with something, and actually then I re. I reconceive it, I just give it a little bit of trust, I enter into relationship in a much more, in a different way, with much more attention and respect and, and all that, granted the possibility that it may have some treasure in it and all that. Um, and actually the thing becomes imaginal and not papancha. So here, there was the possibility, I pointed out as we were talking, that it woven into her life, there are at least three fantasies um, kind of pulling her, propelling her, function, good fantasies, you know, uh, in our sense of imaginal fantasies, soul fantasies, um, functioning already. One was around art, one was around um, actually what we might call a Japanese Buddhist aesthetics or Japanese way of life. Um, one was the whole realm of literature, and one was her her column, um, her teaching column in this magazine as her own creative flow, rather than as just something that she uh, did as part of her duties of her job as a kind of like, oh dear, it's time to write that column again. Um, all these um, were possible and uh, Kind of live fantasies that somehow, in 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 relating to them or conceiving of them, there was more suspicion than trust, and and not quite the relationship that allowed the blossoming, the blooming into full sensing the soul and and imagined relationship. But all these um, fantasies, if you like, these these kind of. Imaginal narratives, um, all of them—the art, the Japanese Buddhist way of life, um, the literature, the the, the column as arti- her own artistic creative—all of them had beauty, soul resonance, meaningfulness, mystery, all, all the rest of it. All of them can be, and sometimes were, um, what we were calling fixations. In other words, Im- in other words, images that weren't imaginal fixated images, um, the stuff of Papancha, um, they could be that if we um, uh, relate to them in the wrong way. So, for example, if um, that wanting to measure up to this strange new social situation that I'm in where everyone's sort of dropping hints of how much they know about this art or that art or that you know, literature or whatever, and I feel like I have to keep up, and it's uh, very intimidating. If that part of me that gets roped into that kind of, um, you know, not very nice social way of relating, and the kind of ego measurement involved in that, if that part of me gets hold of this, then I'm going to be relating to these um, potentially beautiful fantasies and potentially um, imaginal fantasies. I'm going to be relating to them as they become fixations, not imaginal. I'm going to be relating them, relating to them from the, the, the need um, or, or from the effort to, to try and impress others with what I know about art or whatever or uh, or in my uh, column that I'm writing or, uh, or or my fear of failing to do so my fear of failing in this column that I'm doing but what we can do I say at any point um, in practice is actually take it into the meditation take this these strands in our life this complex this nexus of um, uh, fantastical strands in our life and and begin to meditate on the soul resonances that these have for us so that uh, that 
Hokusai art, for example, um, uh, can meditate on, uh, tune into, bring back in, in, into the um, mind's eye those paintings um, and meditate on the soul resonances and how they move and touch my soul and what they mean for me, even if I can't articulate it or put it into words. But feeling into that, allowing um, those very fantasies of my wish to um, somehow be artistic in in my in in writing this column that, that's about something completely different, can and and my wish for a creative flow there. So meditatively um, taking up these strands, perhaps at first singly and then perhaps in combination or whatever, meditating, feeling into the soul resonances, taking one's time with mindfulness, with the sensitivity to the energy body, and then within all that. Um, you know, one can be aware, um, for instance, um, of this. Uh, what happens in the energy body when it goes into the excitement of, I'll, I'll do this, and then I'll do that, and then I can do this, and then after that I'll do, I'll do the next thing. Um, and perhaps uh, relating to that um, in energetic terms as one possibility within the, within the uh, meditation, how does the energy want to flow when I become excited? Um, so it goes into this kind of almost intolerable um, kind of uh, what she was calling manic energy in her chest um, and then probably at some point what happens but she was trained in mindfulness but, but probably at some point what happens is we, we a bit lose connection with the body and then, then the mind just spins about what I'm going to do and then when we think this is, I just need to drop all this this is crazy forget all this it's all per pancha and we just cut the loop and sometimes that's really important, and we talked about this, the necessity of being able to do that. But sometimes you can just, let's go in slowly and really tune into the resonances, the meaningfulness, the beauty, the dimensionality, the mystery, all the rest of it here. And within that, the energy body, what does happen to my energy body? And then when I think about my own possibilities of artistic flow, and my own, or my own wish to, to be creative artistically somehow in whatever form is given for me to, or available for me to do that and then then I see, oh then it tends to go to excitement, okay well excitement's an interesting energy, it comes from um, inspiration, it comes from love, it comes from eros so what happens to the erotic energy in the body if we just stay with the energy body experience dimension now, what happens in the energy body experience of eros that it kind of um, goes from something that's very lovely and harmonizing and takes us deeper into the imaginal uh, and opens up beauty and empowerment and all the rest of it, what happens is that it goes into a kind of excitement that's a little too top-heavy and intolerable and it uh, kind of feels um, not very helpful. Um, how is it that the energy wants to flow? Uh, maybe I can allow it to flow that way. So perhaps it wants to go up and out the body. Perhaps it wants to radiate out the chest in this kind of um, outburst of, of uh, energetic uh, song, like a songbird, or out the throat, or who, who knows. Um, but maybe I can allow it to do that, or even imagine it flowing that way, moving that way. Maybe sometimes it's just the simple awareness of, of what's happening energetically. Um, but I can also um, use the imagination, as we've talked about, in the energy body awareness and have an image of my body, maybe have an image of my body a certain way with this kind of um, uh, inspired energy in it. <laughs>
then I'm, uh, because I'm approaching it meditatively with this delicate, sensitive attunement to soul resonances and, and how the heart is touched and how the meaningfulness is touched and how the energy is and wants to be and wants to move and all of that. And I'm, I'm again, the dynamic responsiveness and sensitivity to all that. The whole um, nexus of, of these... Um, uh, uh, Fantasies, soulful fantasies, um, can can open up in in a way, uh, open up their beauty, their dimensionality, their gift to us, rather than become problem. And um, again, one, one can one can do all this with with the um, with a p- particular fantasy, like even of, of what I want to, or, or this uh, so this impetus that I have, or this calling, or this wish to be creative, um, or it might be a combination of fantasies. And then one can um, play, as I mentioned, with, with the kind of balance of awareness within that, with the attention to the fantasy and all, all the elements involved in that, and to the energy body, maybe a bit more in the energy body, play with that. And when we talked about that each one is like a dial, excuse me, and what the relative settings of my dials of uh, attention on the energy body, uh, alongside attention on the, 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 the soul resonance of the fantasy itself. You know, I can play with that. What feels helpful? But there's so much to explore there and allow to open up in um, potentially a much more helpful, fruitful, soul-making way there. Um, so, again, the, the, the image and the fantasies, the images and the fantasies were, so to speak, already there, if you like, underneath all this complexity and the sense of a pancha and the sense of manic energy and all that. Um, but they weren't quite being related to yet in a way that brought soul-making, and that brought empowerment, that brought freedom, that brought um, the creativity and discovery of uh, soul-making, of sensing of soul, etc. But it really is possible. And actually, one, one you know, in, in a way this applies to so many of the examples um, that I've given over the last um, few years in talks. There's a way of um, kind of hearing them again from that perspective, and this or that situation, or this or that event, or whatever, and is there a way um, that actually the the image or the fantasy can be um, made uh, sensible in the sense of we sense oh that's the image, that's the fantasy. What's involved there? How does it feel? We enter into it and we give it life, or we allow it to have life, and it gives us its life instead of strangling us in all these kind of spaghetti loops of papancha and then constriction and then feeling like, oh no, I shouldn't do that and it's not okay and over the top or whatever. Now, another related or related in all this, and again, in kind of hindsight, you'll you'll see that this is the case, that... um, Imaginal images and fantasies or sensing the soul um, always includes, I've said this already, always includes a sense of value or values, what we deeply value, which is, if you like, a part of uh, the meaningfulness that it has for us. 
So if we think about the example I just gave um, of that person, say the valuing of art, the valuing of artistic expression and creativity, the valuing of a certain kind of aesthetic that we might call Japanese aesthetic or whatever, uh, loosely speaking, um, the valuing of um, uh, uh, with Catherine's niece, the, the valuing of everything that was involved in in the beauty of um, Catherine's grandmother, of her, her, sorry, of Catherine's mother, of, of um, Catherine's niece's uh, nanny, saying, saying uh, that, bringing that forth, bringing that possibility, or opening that possibility, opening the door into the realm, uh, into the territory of that mode of being. Um, it included, wrapped up in there, were things that Catherine's niece, or elements, or dimensions, or directions of experience that Catherine's niece valued deeply. So always when they're sensing the soul, and similarly with that um, story about the, the, the seeing of this episode um, as uh, kind of obliquely the, the something shining through it of the sacred prostitute. And um, always in um, in the imaginal uh, images and fancy and sensing the soul, values are part of it. Now this is something I want to return to um, probably in this set, almost certainly in this set of talks and hopefully um, at some point in, in even, even more in the future. Um, in this set of talks, partly why I want to return to it is because... It's not obvious at first, and I'll explain hopefully how. But this business of values relates to our... um, There's something about the philosophy of the imaginal, or the philosophy undergirding um, this whole business of sensing the soul, etc. It has to do with epistemology, which is how do we know or recognize that we're knowing something. And there's something about values that mirrors that, how we know and recognize values. But I will come back to this. Actually, I'm looking at the time. I think I'm going to end soon. Um, one possibility, which I may do soon or may maybe in the future, is we could we could perhaps do a whole guided meditation where one enters or opens up the sensing the soul, opens up the imaginal through a sense of value. But I don't think I'm going to do that right now. Um... But just to say, uh, just to finish, actually, on on a kind of more general point, um, many of the aspects um, that we've and the elements that I've um, uh, enumerated um, over these talks so far, um, for instance, this whole notion of value, um, values, and um, uh, humility, or whatever. Many of these aspects, we could we could kind of single out and really dwell and linger on them and explore them much, much more, each one. So, for example, humility. We said we could spend a whole retreat even on just this question of humility. And what does it mean for us? Or what's our what happens when we hear that word? How do we relate to it? What does it kind of prickle us in an unpleasant way? Do we resist it? Does it have a soul resonance already for us? What do we think it means at the moment? Um, what happens for us as that word becomes and that concept of humility and our experience of humility um, 
becomes uh, drawn in and involved in the, in the soul-making dynamic, it becomes itself an object of uh, uh, eros and, and, and an imaginal object. What happens to it? Um, and what happens when we start making, because of the soul-making process, we start making more and more refined discernments and discriminations within what we might call humility. Oh, there's this kind of humility, and that kind of, and that color, and that color. Um, so we could uh, easily spend a, a whole retreat on, on just that. Or um, the whole relationship with desire. We talked, you know, a lot so far already in other retreats about desire and eros and all this, but we could back up and just look at what is my relationship with desire? Am I uh, stuck because I actually don't see it as a good thing, or only certain desires are a good thing, or it's not spiritual, or I'm afraid of it, or um, or you know, is it is it just completely out of control in my life, or um, what are the different kinds of desire? All that we could spend quite a while um, just looking at where we each are with desire and our conceiving of it, and our relation of it, and our discriminations uh, of, of the kinds of desire, etc. Or, or with the whole idea of conceiving and logos, which some people find so, uh, you know, so kind of anathema to the spiritual path, or um, is kind of resistant to the idea, or afraid. Again, might be one's personal relationship with us. I'm afraid that I'm, I'm stupid, and you say all this stuff, and it sounds so smart, and I don't get it, and da da da, and or whatever, or uh, or think I already know, I already understand all that, or. Um, whatever it is, or maybe there's a kind of rigidity, or or we don't hang on enough to certain ideas. Um, so each of these aspects, we could easily slow down and kind of really and really explore just where are we each, um, in and what do we need, and what's kind of current for us right now as this particular aspect, as one of the many elements involved in in the whole movement and opening of soul-making. What do we need right now? What do we see right now? What do we sense right now in relation to that? Where are we? What are we bringing with us from the past? What can we let go of? Um, What do we need right now? And to expand and explore each of these elements, aspects, or building blocks, if you like, of of the whole... um, soul-making movement of uh, or practice of sensing the soul and, and perceiving imaginally. Um, but I'm just mentioning that and hopefully, hopefully it will be it will be something for the future. Let's stop there for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.